Venture in the South, a podcast about startup investing in the Southern United States. Our hosts are experienced angel investors with over 90 startup investments. We'll share some Southern wisdom while exposing you to vibrant startups here in the South. Welcome to Venture in the South, the podcast about angel investing in the Southeastern United States. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Clark, and I'm here with David Grizel to talk to you uh, again today about exits. This is a, um, a subject that we like talking about because this is when all of this hard work that goes into angel investing actually pays off and you get some, um, some tangible monetary benefit for all this work. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about exit strategy and expectations, talk about what angels should think about when it comes to exit planning um, and how David feels about different routes to exits. So we're going to kick things off um, by asking David today to tell us what his base expectation is when he goes into a company in terms of exit uh, and what the ideal and less appealing routes to that exit might be. Well, my basic expectation is that exit planning is on the table and the founders uh, have thought about it and they have some kind of plan. And as part of our diligence, we routinely ask about that and we score that, their, their exit planning, in terms of rating the, the value of investment in this startup. And, and part of that is also when there's not a lot of good exit planning is to stimulate founders to start that process and to recognize the value of exit planning. Now, a lot of these startups, at the level that we're seeing them, they have a board of three people one of whom is the founder, another one represents investors, and a third is maybe an advisor or somebody that doesn't have a significant interest in the company, so a so-called outside uh, board member. Um, and it's not till you know an A round or so when when the valuation gets higher that you you get more to a formal board of five or something like that. And the 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 point of that is that when you get to a board structure. Even if it's the three-person board, you have regular meetings. You need to have exit on the agenda pretty much every time so that it's front of mind for everyone. Like, okay, where are we going? And, and are the decisions we're making today, are they going to affect the potential for an exit later? And this is particularly relevant when you're talking about customers and potential alliances with other companies where you want to make sure it's going to fit with an exit and not inhibit an exit. And you may, you may have a choice of investors and you, you would want to choose an investor that's going to have strategic value to you for an exit as a potential acquirer uh, or as somebody who can pave the road to another uh, company that would be an acquirer. Um, so th these are really important issues that lay the groundwork for an exit of, of just thinking about it and planning for it in the future. You covered a lot of ground in that answer. So let's unpack some of those those things. So when you're evaluating an investment in the company, I mean, is it a deal killer for you if somebody hasn't done any of this exit thinking? Or do you think that's something that evolves along the way? No, I don't think it's a deal killer. And, and the reason is that most of these companies, we're, we're going to be with them for years. And so that's plenty of time to start up an exit planning process. So being with them for years, so how many years is your base expectation? Uh, you know, generalizing a lot, but are we talking 
18 months or 10 years? My expectation is it's probably going to be an average of five to seven years. Um, what I would like it to be is three or four years. Um, what I live with sometimes is 10 years. Yeah. Um, and so that that's the reality. I think the, the honest truth is the average is somewhere around five years. Although if you look at the Venture South exit experience, I think as of 2021, they had 19 exits and their average was about three and a half years on those exits. That's right. We are proponents of the early exit. And uh, we have some examples where that has happened. Uh, we also have plenty of examples where it hasn't happened. So um, things can certainly change over time. But um, uh, you, you can make good money with early exits. So we'll talk about, about the dynamics there as well. Um, I guess it comes partly back to the investment thesis that you're, you're dealing with. So is your goal as an investor to invest just in a couple of rounds and grow a company to $50 million dollars? Or is it to see a company go through eight rounds and sell for $10 billion? What's your, what's your thesis determines the length of time you're going to have to be involved, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think it's hard to predict that uh, because a lot of times you may be investing in a company that you, your expectation for exit and the plan for an exit is an acquisition that never comes about, that never happens. And so it ends up being... <clears throat> uh, a long process or even an IPO or something like that. Um, so it's a little bit hard to predict that. But yes, my goal is an early exit. And and I don't want to invest in somebody that's going to have eight rounds of investment because I know when that happens, I'm going to be diluted out not only in terms of valuation, but I'm going to be diluted out in terms of voting power. So usually mm -hmm. by the second or third round, the original angels have no influence anymore. They don't have a board seat. They, they don't have enough votes to affect the direction of the company. Yep. And, and that's okay if they have good leadership. Um, but it's even with good leadership, the interests of the early investors aren't front of mind in those situations. Yep. It's also back to the question we often raise about alignment of interests and everybody's expectations being the same. If I'm investing in a company that's telling me they want to exit in two years, but the reality is they actually don't want to do that. They want to raise several rounds of equity and an IPO. Much better for everybody to know that up front. And yeah. we can, might still invest with, on that plan. We just need to know what the plan is. Yeah. Even understanding that those, those plans change over time. And that's, that's one of my questions when I do diligence is, you know, the company is raising this much money at this valuation. What are you going to do with this? But then the follow-up is, okay, after this money is spent, what happens then? Are you going to need to raise more money? Are you going to be cash flow positive? What What is the next step? How many more rounds of investment do you anticipate to, to achieve your goal? Yeah. We um, also hit a uh, two different philosophies about how exits come about. So some people say good companies are bought and not sold. It doesn't matter. How much preparation you do or how much thinking, you just have to you have to build a great company and somebody will come along and buy you. Or there's the sort of diametrically opposed version of that, the good companies that the exits happen because they intentionally happen and the companies are sold and not bought at random by, you know, a white knight um an acquirer coming along and, you know, sweeping you off your feet. Which of those two schools of thought do you belong to? Oh, I definitely believe that uh, companies are sold. And and the reason I believe that is if you if you have a white knight that comes in and make you a, a great offer, 
and it's out of the blue and you weren't trying to sell your company, how do you know that's competitive if you don't go out and solicit other offers? And and you can't do that overnight. So you have to have put effort into that to develop relationships and and have people interested in your company that know about your company that you can then say, hey, you know, we're, we've got somebody here that wants to buy us. Would you be interested? And maybe you can get a competitive bidding process. Your best price is going to be when you have at least three suitors. Yeah. So that's definitely the, the, my perspective. Okay, good. I'm, I'm generally speaking in line with that as well. Um, that it absolutely is nice to have an unexpected uh, suitor come along and say, yeah, we'll buy you for this. Um, those don't always lead to an actual transaction. And there's a lot of tire kicking out there, people trying to get you know, intelligence on companies. So um, though it's great if those things do happen, but the practicalities of actually having an exit are hard. And um, even if you're not actively soliciting other potential competitor bids in the scenario you described, just having all your ducks in a row so that you can get a deal done quickly takes a fair amount of preparation and thinking ahead of time. So there's the competitive element. There's also the internal, having documents in the right place, having the exit waterfall that we talked about in a prior episode, the cap table and all of that planned out ahead of time. Um, all of that preparation makes sure that deal can happen that um, otherwise perhaps wouldn't if you weren't so well prepared. So we definitely um, subscribe to at the very least being prepared for for that incoming um, uh, request from a uh, you know a high bidder. There's a um, uh, one of the leading exponents of this early exit, and companies are sold through a process kind of thinking. Is a guy called Basil Peters, and his book is called Early Exits, um, and has a lot of useful um, sort of practical explanations about that, but also the sort of the philosophical thing that a lot of companies just go on for too long and they don't sell at the time that will maximize their value. So a lot of companies grow very quickly and their revenue is you know, growing exponentially. Everybody's very excited about it. That's when you get the highest multiple of revenue on an exit. If you can sell then, it might be a smaller number, but a much higher multiple, you get a nice result. If you then just hang on for too long though, and the, the, your gradient tapers off a bit and you're looking more flat later on, then the, the multiple that that kind of chart um, attracts is much lower. So even yeah. though you've got twice as much revenue, the multiple might be you know a quarter of what it was when you were really firing. I like the analogy so of, of surfing the wave where you want to get on the in the curl of the wave where you have the greatest power, the greatest downslope. Yep. If you take the wave in all the way to the beach and it's whitewater and you're rolling on the whitewater, it's just not as fun. Yeah, right. I guess that is, yeah, that, that, that captures the same thing. Um, so timing it um, is important. Um, you can't always control it. So, you know, your industry might be changing. You know, the public markets might be changing. There might be recession going on that's going to impact that. Um, but um, just being aware that you may be signing yourself up for two or three extra years of work for nothing to show for it on the exit valuation might focus your mind into getting out earlier than otherwise you might have done. So um, early exits is something that we uh, are absolutely happy with our investment philosophy to encourage and love to see when that happens. Now, Paul, also one of the benefits of early exits is we as angel investors have much greater influence early on because we're larger stakeholders as opposed to 
round three or four or five where we're very small stakeholders. And so we have less influence in this sort of thing. And and there are often competing interests when you have big stakeholders and strategics that may want to acquire or not see acquired uh, various companies. And so th- that's another argument where angels can control their destiny better with an early exit. We'll take a pause there. We'll invite you to uh, just take a minute to rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or send us a note and tell us what other subjects you would like to hear us chat about. Uh, we will happily oblige. Venture in the South is brought to you by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on Southern startups. The fund allows quarterly investment with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information, go to rollingsouth.vc. Welcome back to Venture in the South. Today, we're talking about exit strategies and early exits. Um, Next up on the agenda, I'd like to chat a bit about um, something you mentioned earlier, David, about uh, getting a deal to happen um, and the influence that angels can have early on. Um, What have you done or what do you see working well in companies to get them thinking more about uh, and preparing for an exit? I think the number one thing is having the board focused on that every time the board meets. And, and typically, we're going to have a board seat in deals that we, that we lead. Um, in deals that we don't lead, we may have an observer, and observer can promote that from their perspective just through conversation. Um, and typically, we're going to have uh, annual reports, quarterly reports, and occasionally they're live. And so there's opportunities to ask questions. So that's a great time to ask about the exit plan. And just to try to create a little bit of awareness about, yeah, you, the, we're investors that are interested in an exit, and we want to know what your plan is. And so that that they're thinking about it, the leadership team, the board is thinking about it, that that's probably the most significant thing we as angels can do is to keep that awareness going. Yep. Keeping it on the agenda. It doesn't always have to be the top of the agenda. There's right. 10,000 things to do in a startup and exit planning is perhaps not the one, number one, every every board, board meeting, but making sure it's on people's minds and agenda is definitely, definitely important. You also mentioned, I think, when we started the show, um, uh, just bearing in mind decisions you make today can impact your future exit, um, you know, potentially years from now. Uh, and so maybe can you elaborate a little bit about um, about that and um, and what decisions you see people making early on that can have a positive or negative impact on the exit uh, scenario? So I've seen basically two scenarios that I think most commonly impact on exit planning and op- uh, opportunity. One is um, partnering with strategic partners. So you have a service or a product uh, that you're selling and you may have a strategic fit with another company that can co-sell your service or product or integrate your service or product or complements your product in some way. And uh, choosing that partner is often, you know, a process of choosing between multiple partners and that you could go from. And you, you would be well served to think about it in terms of, well, is this potential partner going to be a potential acquirer? Um, can this potential partner introduce me to potential acquirers? And so there's a lot of value beyond the sale 
uh, with these partners. And you have to think about that in a holistic manner, like what's the whole pie you can get from this organizational deal as opposed to just sales. I mean, that's obviously the main the main item. But um, so that's one scenario. The other is um, in terms of of sales. So you you may work with one customer or another customer, and these customers may be interested in your business. You may sell something to a very large company that wants to integrate your business into their business. Or maybe they want to prevent somebody else from integrating your business into another business that's going to compete with them. And so sales is a very uh, rich opportunity to think about, okay, well, would this customer be an acquirer or would they be able to introduce me to a series of acquirers? And so you may you may choose to sell to a particular company over another company simply because of that issue. Yeah, those are both... Um very common scenarios that uh, you, you want to pay close attention to. Uh, on the negative side of that, the, the flip side is don't agree anything with anybody that makes it harder for you to exit either. Right. So, uh, you know, the, the number two player in the space might not be so excited about buying you if you have an exclusive relationship with the number one player in the space, right. just to keep things you know, very simple. Um, but yeah, don't do anything that can I- inhibit your exit potential later on. We have uh, a partner in uh, Charlotte at Venture South, Mac Lackey, who has, uh, he sold, uh, I think, probably lost count of how many companies he sold at this point, six or seven. Um, and his philosophy is absolutely on the, uh, you know, preparing for an exit, being ready for an exit, organizing your business so that it's as maximally attractive to potential acquirers as possible. And he has a huge amount of content and help for CEOs to, to, to do that. Um, and so if you're very conscious about it and, um, and disciplined about all of those things, you can make a company much more valuable to somebody just from some decisions early on um, that it's too late to do something about. Yeah, I think that offers a great service to founders and leadership teams that haven't been through this process. And even if you have been, uh, because he has so much experience, it's a great opportunity to tap that experience. Yeah. There's one other uh, area where uh, I think it's useful to have uh, an angel or maybe maybe a board member that isn't an angel involved in these exit discussions. Um, so I'll just throw this onto the table as well. I mean, exits take up a lot of brain power and bandwidth that the CEO often can't spare uh, because they need to run this company. So even if there isn't an exit, this company's still got to keep growing and doing a lot of good things, which is a full-time job for the you know, management team in itself. So... One way that we've seen particularly effective is to have somebody that knows exits but also has the time to be kind of the point person for the exit-related stuff. Uh, and that might be you know, appointing a banker and liaising with a banker and getting the documents in place, practical stuff. It can be uh, advice things so that there's always somebody that you know, is aware of everything that's going on and can sort of give you holistic advice as the, the CEO or the board as you're thinking about these things. Um, or even just something as simple as being the bad guy, you know, somebody on the team that um, can deliver the bad news to the losing bidders, or say, "Look, guys, you've got to up your bid because uh, you know something else is happening," you know, and, and not make the relationship between the CEO, who's going to have to work for one of these acquirers, become too uh, fraught early on. Um, having somebody who 
can take the blame, drive the deal, and avoid the CEO being distracting is a really useful contribution to um, to an exit. We had yeah. a, we had an exit like that um, late last year where um, it, it, there were a lot of people involved. So he doesn't take full credit, but he did a tremendous amount of work being that point person and advice person and um, you know center of gravity for the transaction to happen that um, probably would have stretched the management team a bit too hard if they had to do that as well as all the stuff that they were doing. Yeah. It kind of plays into the calculus of choosing board members and advisors because one of the factors that founders and, and for that matter, uh, board members should consider in this is what kind of uh, exit experience these people have. And, and you probably should should try to have someone on your board that has as an exit experience or at least an advisor that has an exit experience that you can go to and help you plan your exit and give you feedback on approaches that you get from potential acquirers. Yeah. I think it's worth a quick detour to say all of these exits we're talking about are good exits. So situations where the company is doing pretty well, you actively want the company to be acquired. Um, That's an entirely separate scenario to the one where the company's out of cash. We've got to figure out how to exit this thing in the way that causes the least amount of brain damage and fractured relationships um, when we're closing a company down. Um, and that's a separate kind of skill set too. Um, it's, all, it's useful to have somebody on the board that's been through that before that can help um, see where the you know, potential lawsuits are going to come from, where the bad relationships are being developed. Um, that will help you too um, in, those, in those unpleasant scenarios, which as we've talked about before are Maybe not the expectation when you go into a deal, but a pretty common outcome on a deal. Yeah, common enough. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. Um, I think we've uh, pretty much given our consensus view there that early exits are good. I know that that is not the the only approach to uh, exits uh, and the only philosophy there. Um, so maybe we'll have a guest on the show that that disagrees with us about that and and see if we can um, chat with them about about alternative approaches to exit. But Thank you for today. Thanks, listeners. We appreciate you uh, paying attention to our show. Again, if you have any um, any time, just give us a rating and a review. We'd very much appreciate that so that we know that we're doing a good job and we look forward to talking with you on a future podcast. This podcast is supported by Venture Carolina, an educational nonprofit focused on angel investors and entrepreneurs. Our team is built from successful entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, board members, and executives that want to give back. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Visit us at VentureInTheSouth.com for a complete list of previous and future shows. Contact us if you have any comments or requests.